Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Manoj Tandon with Dark Rhino Security. Welcome to our podcast, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Tyler Smith joining us, as well as uh, Mitch Spaulding, who unfortunately is uh, moving on to greener pastures, but we're honored to have him for this uh, one last show as a DRS uh, employee, as a Dark Rhino team member. You know, Mitch is a special person in that how he came up through cybersecurity. And really, when you look at the atmosphere with uh, COVID-19, his story will resonate because it's about how one can educate themselves and really uh, come up through a career in cyber. And you know what? Same is true for Tyler. Tyler uh, served in Afghanistan uh, as a frontline infantryman and um, made a transition to owning a cybersecurity company. So I think in these times, it would be inspirational maybe for some of the folks to listen to a little bit about what these gentlemen have to say. And and uh, we'll learn a little bit here. Mitch, I think it would be great to start off with you and give us a little bit of an insight, you know, how you went from being a lacrosse player in high school to uh, being a Uber cybersecurity master. <laughs> Just like starting off, um, I was always really big into technology and video games growing up. Uh, so I think that kind of just got my initial interest in, um, I wouldn't say cybersecurity, but just like the tech field overall. Uh, it wasn't until later on until I got to high school and that I saw, you know, it, it came around, you know, the summer, uh, the summertime once, you know, school's out and everything. And I had to kind of find a job. So when I was looking for jobs, I wasn't necessarily looking for something, you know, to make minimum wage. I was more looking for something to better myself. And then, you know, almost like learning a skill, like kind of like an apprenticeship. Um, I wanted to better myself in that regard. So in that way, I was always, I was always like learning. So then that way, you know, if I went to college or something, I'd always have something to fall back on or continue after, after I had, you know, done, done something like an internship. So I went, I was looking for uh, certain jobs and I saw this, you know, just this general security help desk role kind of come through with Ohio health. I was, um, a freshman or sophomore in high school and I took the opportunity they didn't really require any any for any true background in cybersecurity. they were just more looking for a young kid uh, who had the eagerness to learn so luckily they chose me and then that kind of started my journey down cybersecurity. Um, while I was on that internship I learned a lot about um, IBM's key radar system I learned basically how a sim operates and what are the inner workings of something like a sim granted i mean it was ibm key radar i don't know if where their product stands on the market currently um but i'm sure there's other different sim platforms on the market regardless um but it was really cool i got to learn a ton about what sims do uh further from that i also got some hands-on dlp experience with semantic dlp i thought that was really cool one thing that was kind of interesting about it was um, I had a lot of friends whose parents coincidentally worked at Ohio Health, and I would see my parents' friends like pop up, like their email addresses pop up on the DLP like system, and oh. I, I think that I think that's what kind of made it real for me. I was like, okay, like these are real people. This is actually happening. It's not just like statistics or data in a spreadsheet. This is this is real. <laughs> so. Were that, there any like, interesting like, things that they were doing that they were showing up on the DLP system? I'm just curious. Oh, <laughs> there, there was a ton. I, just, I don't think I can say it. Um, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, like, my, my friend's parents weren't doing anything, like, 
crazy or anything. Um, but yeah, there was some like really nasty stuff that would kind of pop up um, here and there from other employees. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Tyler probably, probably knows a little bit of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The so, DLP system can be a real human cesspool. Oh, I can uh, imagine like straight up. I had um, way back in 1999 or 2000, I, I was uh, working with a major uh, tire manufacturer and they had installed these little internet kiosks throughout their uh, headquarters and their, and all their offices. And, and anybody could go onto those kiosks and, and go search. Well, as it turned out, uh, you guys can, I'll spare you the salacious details, but there were a lot of uh, sites being visited that maybe should not have been visited right during work hours. And I think probably back then we didn't even have a DLP and that probably started some of those kinds of things started the world of uh, data loss protection, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Um, things like that triggered, you know, uh, companies to control their network <laughs> just yeah. because you know, people would go yeah. look at anything, anything and everything you can think of. If people can get on a computer and look at it, they, they will. Uh, and usually, usually if they don't, if no one's watching them or they think that they're, they're, you know, in private, they'll, they'll look at some really weird stuff. How do people like not think that people can't see what they're doing on something like a corporately managed device? Yeah. I mean, most of that's just failure of, uh, uh, communication, uh, to employees on the part of, you know, here's our policy, by the way, you agree not to do this stuff because you know that we can inspect what's being done. Uh, but a lot of companies have gotten a lot better about that over the last several years, but it is, it, it never ceases to amaze when you, you, you find yourself in a situation where somebody's like, Hey, um, you need to go get so-and-so's laptop and, and then they, they get into the reasons behind it and you're just like, they did what? <laughs> they, yeah. They did what? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's okay. I mean, it, those things uh, over time, I'm sure the people will get more and more educated and we might see less and less of it, but you would think that at checkpoints at airports, people wouldn't try and take guns through. I think about that, right? I mean, doesn't it say in big block letters all over the place, no knives, guns, bottled water, all these things. And you'd think by yeah. now people would know maybe Maybe people will never know, and that's why there needs to be some oversight. Well, yeah, I mean, if there, if if there, we wouldn't have those things if we didn't need it. You know, <laughs> all these things are born out of necessity. I, I, you know, I mean, I remember the guy, the story, and there's plenty of people I'm sure who who deployed overseas that have similar stories. But I remember coming back and, you know, hearing about the guy in in uh you know another company that dropped his gear down for inspection and you know everybody heard the sound of a, a hand grenade hit the hit the asphalt <laughs> it's a oh, very distinct man. noise so when you hear that dull metallic thud you know everybody looks over and and you kind of see that guy looking down at his stuff and uh-oh man i don't know if i would have heard that noise i put it probably outran usain bolt <laughs> it would have been uh, clink goodbye later <laughs> i mean 
you came through uh, military to cyber and, you know, Mitch started off in high school. What was your movement? How did that happen? How do you go from being a guy carrying a saw to uh, yeah. owning a cybersecurity company? The way that I got to uh, into security, it was, it was definitely circuitous, if you will. Uh, you know, I got out of the Marine Corps. I was expecting to make it a career. I got hurt and, and, uh, medically discharged at the end of my, my, uh, right at the end of my enlistment. And so I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. And I thought I'd get into physical security. And so that's what I did for a while. And, you know, I was a weapons instructor, firearms instructor, uh, and I went back to school and studied international studies, security and intelligence. And that for me was, it was very interesting because you get to learn about how all of these different agencies, uh, both nationally and internationally interact to complete the overarching mission of gathering intelligence and security uh, providing security for, you know, everyone at large. And the, the transition came, you know, I, I found myself in a position where I couldn't go any further in the physical security realm. I just, I, it was, to me, it just wasn't attractive. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I switched to a technology job. I started working at Apple and someone I worked with there, kind of gave me the the nudge and said, hey, you know, you're not bad with this technology stuff. Like maybe you should come over and, and give security a try. And I was a little hesitant at first, but it, it really, it, it for me, it checks a lot of boxes um, on a personal level. And that is everything to do with being of service to others. Um, in security, it's, a lot of people overlook it, you know, especially in times like this, we see people talk about things like essential employees. Security has, it's one of those essential professions. It just is, uh, whether it's physical security or what we do, which is far less felt by the world at large. Um, your average person doesn't have a clue that there's dozens and dozens and dozens of professionals that are working to keep the things that they use every day safe um, and functional and accessible uh, for everyone to use. I mean, and that is, you know, the traffic lights, the systems that work on the behind the scenes to, to make sure that the shipments get to the grocery stores, you know, your credit card and banking information, you know, literally all of these things, the phones that you use to call, these are all protected by security professionals. And it's, it's truly, in my opinion, I think it is the the ever uh, the everlasting war, so to speak. is It's being fought every day. It has been fought every day since we, as a society globally, switched to these electronic formats, and we depend so heavily on them. Uh, people have no idea that this battle is going on. I mean, you pick out any major corporation, and they have to they have to be the winner in thousands of attacks, thousands of little fights every single day, if not hundreds of thousands. And if they lose, they, they just have to lose once 
and that puts people's information in jeopardy. On that point of major corporations, Mitch, uh, before we started the podcast, you made mention uh, you've heard of a lot of layoffs recently. Are the layoffs you're referring to, are they in the cybersecurity industry? They are. And I think that's what is kind of the crazy thing about it. You would think so you know, that, that, cybersecurity yeah, would be like one of the last. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I from what Tyler was saying and what you're describing, I think that those worlds are kind of at odds with each other, right? I mean, cybersecurity, mm-hmm. you would think no one would yeah. be getting rid of people. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is because people really don't understand how deadly serious it is. And, and I use that terminology very intentionally. I mean, when I say deadly serious, I mean, these are the things, you know, you may not understand, uh, you know, advanced projectile physics, but, you know, or, or, or even, you know, a simple, you know, gravitational equation. But if you step off the top of a building, you better hope it's not, not too terribly high, because when you hit the ground, you're going to die. I mean, your understanding of it is irrelevant. And that's what really kills me about this whole thing is just you see people getting laid off in mass. And it's because for a lot of companies, they just look at security like, well, it's just another cost center. And then they don't give it the gravity that it truly deserves. Yeah, I, I think like what companies see it, they see it as a cost center until it actually happens to them until they're actually breached and right. at that point at that point they're like okay this is this is actually important and i shouldn't have made the mistake of seeing it as a cost center um i mean just with you know with all these companies they're not even ex- they're not just exposing personal information i mean they're putting their entire brand their entire reputation at risk by not investing in cybersecurity and laying off these people, I mean, their their reputation's severely at risk for this. You know what, Mitch, and you look at some industries have actually taken that seriousness to heart, like the insurance sector, their governing bodies have adopted a policy that the risk, cyber risks must be reported to the board of directors of the company. That in itself is a statement that it's not just a cost center, it is something of material relevance to the resilience of the operation, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just me as a consumer, I'm not going to want to, you know, be an insurance customer of someone who's gotten breached or someone who's gotten breached and didn't disclose it, you know, and Mm -hmm. disclosed it two or three years after the fact, like that doesn't sit well with me. Right. And it shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't. A lot of companies, they, this is a can that, that gets kicked down the road. And, uh, mostly it's because they don't, they really don't understand it. And to them, it's this, you know, giant greased bull that they just can't get a handle on. And they don't even try and they don't even try and grab a hold of it. And reality, there's lots of methods you can use to uh, discover what your true risk is, measure it, and then really lay it out and say, okay, well, we know that these are all here. These problems are all here. How are we going to deal with them? Well, you know, which going back now to Mitch for a second, in this time when most companies are laying off, you're looking at advancing your career and you've kind of chosen the IAM arena for that. What 
what makes you focus on IAM versus someone in your position could have gone into looking at firewalls, gone into threat hunting, looking at DLP. I mean, there's a multitude of places you could have gone and there's income parity across all of them. And you thought of IAM. What is there a driver behind that thought looking to the future? Yeah. So I, I guess my, my reasoning for, you know, kind of going down this IAM route is that IAM is kind of like the new forefront. If, you know, if people haven't seen it as the forefront or the keystone of um, any good cybersecurity practice, it definitely is now. I mean, we're talking about with this whole COVID thing. I mean, remote access has like skyrocketed like 100 percent or even more than that, um, probably since March this year. So the reason why I kind of wanted to go down the IAM route was because I want to be on that forefront. I want to make sure that people are able to sign into their, you know, workspace applications and utilities in a secure fashion. And ultimately now, I mean, a lot of these different companies, they didn't necessarily, not all of them had the infrastructure for a secure login when a user's outside of the office, which, you know, probably about 100% of their users are trying to log in now from outside the office. And fortunately they don't have a system to basically allow that access in a secure, secure way. You know, we talk about, you know, implementing VPNs and that thing with um, different firewall systems, but if a company doesn't have that, you know, what are they going to use? And I think that's where, you know, I am kind of comes in with the whole zero trust approach, which essentially means that no matter who you are, or where you're coming from, you're going to be prompted for your traditional authentication, but then also a second factor to really make sure, you know, you who you are who you say you are. And I think that's pretty powerful, um, especially in the time time that we're in right now with uh, coronavirus going around. And we're going to be in it for the foreseeable future, even though the economies are beginning to open up across the planet. Um, this thing has not gone away. And if past history is exactly. anything, it we're going to still have outbreaks regionally. I mean, I, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I, I can't forecast anything like that. But logical sense would say we're going to have probably some further work from home activities that are going to be necessitated. I'm also thinking that it's not even going to be like a matter of um, like coronavirus after all this. I think you're going to see a lot more companies be a little bit more lenient in the work from home policy um, because a lot of different companies have shown that they're able to work. A lot of different you know people in companies have shown that they're able to work from home and still get work done. So I think, you know, coming into the office in general is going to be a lot more relaxed um, going forward in the future. So there's got to be something in there. Uh, there's got to be some sort of system in place there to allow for secure access. Yeah, you know, uh, that's an interesting point, Mitch. Uh, and I don't know, there's going to be some permanent changes to the workforce. And I couldn't venture a guess as to what that's going to be in terms of the number of people that are going to uh, work from the office just partially, or they're going to completely work from home, or, you know, there's going to be some mixture of that. There's going to be some professions where you can't, uh, you know, if you're, a, if you're working in a factory, you can't work from home. It's impossible, right? If you're, mm -hmm. a, if you're a medic, you can't do that from home, but certainly in technology, I could see that. And I would ask Tyler to chime in here because Tyler, I think your dad's in the real estate business. Has he, had any insights on uh, what's going to happen to commercial real estate 
on this. I know yeah. this is a complete left turn from uh, security, Ooh. but I'm, Mitch kind of took us there, so I, I'm just yeah. going to complete the thought. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, uh, you know, the conversations he and I have had recently have just revolved around frustration about not being able to get our hair cut. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I, you know, I that's a good question. I, I can't really offer any insight to into that. But uh, I mean, certainly, I think, I think when it comes to the remote work thing, before it was you know, there wasn't a lot of evidence. Like there was a lot of theory about it. Like, well, how effective are people who work remotely? And, and I think that this was something that proved out the, the model for, for everyone. And it's, you know, it's, for me, I feel like I work a lot longer when, when I'm, you know, here at, at, at home, um, just because I don't, no one's walking up to me every five minutes, 20 minutes out an hour and going, Hey man, can you look at this thing real fast? And and I think because of that, it, it lets me focus more on what I'm trying to, to accomplish. Um, and then when I have a question, it's usually a quick email to somebody and, and then they get around to it when they have a second to, to get back to me, um, which is usually it, it's timely but I think it's not, it's not the same as me walking up to somebody's desk and going, Hey man, can you take a look at this real fast? Um, because when you do that, it, it, you immediately need to, to, you know, answer the person. You feel that, you know, the immediate immediacy of it. Whereas if it's an email, you see it, you go, okay, I'm busy with this. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in just a second. And it, and it works into your flow better, I think, but that's just me. I mean, I know well, that I think Kyler all in all uh, here at Dark Rhino, even we've seen it, uh, you mm -hmm. know, we were talking about moving our offices and quite frankly, right. I even questioned the space we have now is do we need it all? Because we, um, it all? we there's some even in our company, right? There are some roles that you can't be in the uh, at home for, like if you're working mm -hmm. in the sock you right. got to be in the sock. That's a job right. you can't do remotely. But barring some of those things, a lot of the folks were able to get most of their work done remotely. Even people who were on client sites were able to get it done. Right. And, uh, you know, even if, let's say we downsize our office space by 20%. If every small medium business in America did that, it would be catastrophic to the commercial real estate market. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a, quite a dent. I mean, it, it would be a huge, huge dent. Uh, but you're right. I think you and Mitch are both right that people are work from home and remote access. And IAM is going to be, it's a foundational technology in cybersecurity, right? I mean, you only have three mm -hmm. things, prevention, detection, and response, right? Yep. yep. And uh, that IAM is a strong component of prevention. If you get the identity right, then chance, then that makes it must, less likely that a bad actor uh, is going to imitate somebody that right. is a good actor. <laughs> yep exactly 100 yeah, percent. right so you know mitch there might be a lot of younger kids listening to this simply because of the reason that we have uh 
you know, one of the people, folks that we've partnered or tr are trying to partner with is the Pittsburgh public school system. And, and you just caught a tail end of that uh, here in the last couple of days. But your thoughts on the young crowd, the really young crowd, I mean, they probably look at you and say, that guy's old now, right? <laughs> yeah, you're the old man now, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. I know, I know you guys had me on this podcast only because I'm like the Zoomer correspondent. <laughs> he's on to us Manoj. he's on yeah. to us <laughs> well I, I i am the old man on this podcast so i hey you know things were very different in my era and um, yeah <laughs> the advice i would have given would have been very different but those uh young folks who are looking for that future in cyber is there what would be your guidance? And then I'd ask Tyler, you to chime in for that as well and say, you know, mm -hmm. what would be your guidance to those folks and a, a path forward? How should they, how should they approach it? I guess one, one perspective, you know, that I could, I could recommend to younger people trying to get into cybersecurity is that there's literally so many resources on the internet right now, uh, to get these jobs and to get these jobs. I mean, uh, getting the basic understandings of the of the craft and then also getting some uh, certifications. Um, so there's one of the how, kind of one of the ways that I got started in cybersecurity was I used this site called Cybrary. Cybrary, I think it's called cybrary.it. Right? They have a huge catalog of all these different, you know, certification classes that you can take and it's all self-paced. It's not like you have to log in and meet with an instructor. I mean, you can you can do all this work on your own independently. You know, especially during this time when you're being assigned, you know, one like high school paper a week by your teacher, since, um, you know, you can't really do too much right now. Um, take advantage of that and go on to something like Cybrary and start working in something like a Security Plus course. That's going to just benefit you way more in the long run, um, especially when it comes to applying to colleges and um, maybe even getting a job, a part-time job while you're in college. If you have something like a Security Plus cert, and a basic understanding of uh, cybersecurity as a whole, I mean, that's going to go a long way. Uh, so definitely recommend taking those um, self-paced courses whenever you have a chance. And Tyler, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with what uh, Mitch says. I mean, you know, it, it, for him, it's uh, much more tangible because uh, he actually did it, you know, the whole transition from high school straight into, uh, you know, the security profession. But, but at the same time, I don't, I, you know, Mitch, I kind of, I kind of I, I saw you come up as you were doing all this, and and uh, you know, not kind of. I mean, I did see you come up as you were doing yeah. all this, but you, <laughs> yep. you put, you can't understate the amount of you know work that you've done. It's you, you, you did a lot of work, but I, I think the the thing is, is while it is quite a lot of work, you know, it's it takes time, but you have time if you're a young younger person. Exactly, yeah. To invest in this, and it's and that's what it is. It's an investment, um, and it doesn't have to be work either. I mean, you, you, this stuff can be really cool if if you're attuned to it. Um, you know, if you if you the idea of building your own you know network at home and setting it up so that it's secure and it's a segmented network and you're capturing uh, logs and running your own SIM at home. These are all things that you can do using yep. open source tools and then the guidance that's available. I mean, YouTube is a tremendous resource. Um, 
I, I used to have it in my mind, like when when someone would would bring up YouTube, like these thoughts of people watching errant, stupid, stupid cat videos. Uh, you know, not that there's such a thing as a stupid cat video for for people listening, but uh, you know, they're just just this valueless political correctness there, man. Waste of time. <laughs> Is 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 kind of how it it when when someone would be like yeah you know I watched some stuff on YouTube like that was the first thing that popped into my mind like oh okay so you screwed off for you know four hours and didn't get any work done but that's no longer the case I mean pretty much anything you want to do in security or you need to do in security um, especially with open source tools you can go onto something like YouTube or Vimeo or something like that and see someone actually go through the steps to set it up or explain it for you. Then couple that with something like cybrary.it. You go in, you create an account and start working your way through some of those courses. And they've got a ton of them. I mean, if it's an IT, uh, especially security, they probably have a course that you can sign up for for free. Um, And then if you want to take it the next step, you can pay to do the labs. Um, And they actually have labs that let you go in and actually set up uh, whatever it is you're learning about hands-on doing it like that. It's, it's a lot more fun because you're going to actually be creating a thing. It's not just some frowny face, you know, flesh drone, just moaning on about some topic while you mindlessly listen and scribble stuff down on a piece of paper. Uh, um, but it's going to actually be, okay, so here's this thing. You know, this is how it's used, and and okay, now now go and do it. Um, you can do things with like you could set up your own firewall at home. All you need is a is a computer that has two network interface cards or two two NICs basically, not cards necessarily, but just two ports, or even one port that you you set up to operate as both your in and out. Um, and you can you can use something like OpenSense or PFSense to download and install a firewall and then configure that firewall. And it has features that are similar to those that you'd see on an enterprise grade um, that you'd have to spend thousands of dollars to buy. And these are available to you for free. Set that up and and run it and you're actually doing it, not just reading it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, hands-on practical application is the best way to learn. But then I would ask both of you a question. I mean, Tyler, you just mentioned, uh, you know, the amount of work Mitch has done. And Mitch, you kind of took it upon yourself from becoming a gamer, or that's where your interest started, to really developing that into a computer science-based career path. Why is it that we don't see more American graduates really going into it? We have a tilted uh, market in cybersecurity why do you think that is? can talk a little bit about um, kind of why there's a lack of talent pool maybe in the U.S. Uh, from, from like younger generations. And yes. I think that's a big part. I think a big part of that is because there's a certain standard. I think that's in everybody's head um, coming up, you know, in the American school systems. And it's that, you know, you, you have to be either a doctor or a lawyer. And if you don't want to do something like that, then you have to become an accountant. Um, or go major in uh, business or marketing. You know, you have to go down this like traditional path. And I think what makes me and Tyler both very unique is that although we're like, what, like 18, 20 years apart, 
we literally went to the same high school and I can tell you straight up, like their values have not changed in the last 20 years. It's still, it's still focused on becoming a doctor or lawyer and a lot of memorization of stupid facts. You're just never going to use. It's never, it's never like applicable. It's never like applied um, sciences or anything like STEM. So I think there's almost a, a stigma in the American school system where if you're not coming out of high school and going into college uh, as a, you know, business, business major, a, a pre-med major, a, you know, accounting or finance major, you know, people, are, your, your friend groups or, you know, your parents are like, you know, what are you doing? And I mean, I, I even went to go, uh, they, they had this thing that they put out to alumni from our high school and it was like, uh, you know, um, anybody want to come back and, and talk about, you know, professional development. And, and I was like, sure yeah i'll do that and they just never got back to me um so i mean and and it's like you know i was really clear i'm like listen this is a really great industry you know it's seen tremendous growth um it's it is a career that is equal to if not greater than becoming an attorney or a lawyer um you know you walk out of school with a with a law degree you're you're not going to have an easy time getting a job unless you were in the top 10 in your class. And, and I know that because that was what I was looking at. I was going to go to law school and you know, the median income for somebody right out of law school, I think when I was doing it was like 42,000 a year. Um, and this was in 2009 ish. So uh, the, you know, you can do a hell of a lot better than 42,000 a year in security, but yeah, I mean, I would never tell somebody don't get into security. Uh, it's, I personally think it's a great field to get into. I'll tell you what guys, you know, in my own experience, uh, you know, this education is a passion of mine. I do it on the side. I, you know, I, I here, I'm working with slippery rock university a little bit on their cyber program and trying to give some guidance to to kids and what i see in general with stem and this is just and keep in mind that i have a biased view because i am an aerospace engineer and i spent oodles of time with math and physics and science and 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 all that and i got into that stuff I, that was my thing i think in schools we often at the onset disadvantage the children by saying business and finance they may not be that hard but stem is hard oh you got to be really smart to do math you got to be really right. smart to do this and that's really a bunch of hogwash uh, it's in terms of if you take two human beings one's a, a poet the other is an engineer you could argue they have different skill sets but you couldn't argue that either one is less capable than the other. And it's a real mental thing. So when you take children and you expose them to these concepts, which do require something that Mitch did, where you had to apply yourself to get those initial certifications, to go to Cyberary and do that self-motivated learning. STEM does require that. And the way that happens is that there has to be a sense of wonder in oneself to uh, want to take that path. And if we kill that sense of wonder by planting ideations in people's heads that these things are hard or or we don't 
you know, you, you have to be a genius or something to do this or that or the other. Uh, I think it's just, uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think there's this element of motivation and uh, getting kids motivated. And Mitch found it through video games. I found it through a sense of wonder. I always thought it was cool to see a heavier than air flying machine take off. I still do. It never ceases to amaze me. But uh, that sense of wonder is if we take that away from our public educational system by memorization and forcing of concepts and ideations that really have not that much of a uh, long-term value, then we might put ourselves at a disadvantage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, because that's that's how it was presented to me. It was like, oh, this is, you know, that's all really hard, scary stuff in engineering. And and uh, for me, it's like you said, it was always, it, it ignited a passion that, that uh, sense of wonder ignited a passion in me with technology. And, you know, I just thought, I always thought it was cool how you can set up a network and stop, pe- how people can break into it and how you can s- see it and stop it and help prevent it. I mean, that to me is really interesting um so much so that you know i it it drove me to learn more about it on my own time as it did mitch right yeah so with that we're approaching the uh top of the hour here and uh mitch i know it's your last day but i you know i would like to uh one thank you immensely publicly for all the great work you've done here and uh we're really grateful for it. And yeah. uh, this is a, this is still a home for you anytime you want it to be. Seriously. Thanks again, Manoj. I, uh, I wouldn't have traded the last three years for, for anything. I've learned so much working at dark kind of security. And it's honestly probably one of the better places to work um, anywhere else that, you know, nothing can compare to it. I deeply appreciate that. Very kind words. But I do want to ask you one thing, and I do want to ask Tyler one thing, too. If in parting, do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share with us? Always strive for success. You know, always uh, put yourself on top. And that's how I, that's that's how I see it, you know, maybe from a movie, but um, it definitely has some real life applications to it. And Tyler? Yeah, I think it was uh, Churchill who, who said never, 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 never give up. Those are all fantastic quotes. But yeah, Mitch, I also want to say, hey, you know, fair winds and following seas, my man. Godspeed. And with that, uh, everyone, we are signing off for this episode of Security Confidential. Goodbye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.